Amen, amen. You may be seated. Woo! In the house of God. Oh, praise God. Brother Chris, would you stay up here? Brother Chris came and served us. Thank you, my brother. He came and served us during that time when everything was scary, when even my own friends didn't want to hang out with me. You were willing to come all the way from Dallas, man of God. Is it Dallas or Texas? Where are you at, Texas? Nacogdoches. I just want him to testify what God's been doing since that time, but that time last year, he stood with us when very few were, when we were threatened with the, the bombs and all that, the fire and the squad, when the police was out there. Let's give it up for Brother Chris. Let him testify as he gets his breath. I've been doing a Bible study in my house. And it's the book of Acts. And um, this church reminds me of the book of Acts. Um, when I saw what happened with the BLM move, and I saw that they're basically trying to say that the church was not for black people. I knew that it was the devil. And all the way from Texas, I would see the videos of y'all going on the streets and preaching the gospel and winning souls for Christ, black, white, Hispanic. You look at the church, it's full of all races, all nationalities. You got Cubans, you got people from all over the world in this place. So I know that was a lie from the devil. And so the Holy Spirit in me, I couldn't just do nothing. I had to say, no, no. I have to stand with those brothers and sisters in Chicago. I have to stand with them. And I wanted to come down the weekend when Bevelyn and Anime and uh, Roger and Jacob came. And I couldn't come. But the next weekend I came. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing is the Bible says that blessed are the persecuted. And I, I prophesied that, that weekend, I said, this church that you see now that is standing in the midst of the George Floyd and all that stuff, there was a lot of people that left, but this church that you see right around here is the ones that are going to start the fire. Because it's easy to praise God when everything is for you and everything is blessed, but it's hard to stand up in the midst of persecution. It shows what your roots are anchored in. If you're anchored in fear, then fear is going to come out. If you're anchored in Jesus, then you're going to stand firm. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it, say, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty powers. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. See, we don't realize that. We have to have discernment. And when the devil brings something that is shocking a culture that's outside of Jesus, then we got to realize that it's deception. The BLM movement came through like a, 
like a plague, like a virus, and it tried to sweep away the church. But my brother in Christ and this church stood the ground, stood the ground. When a lot of churches backed down and they said, yes, BLM, Black Lives Matter. But my brother says, no, all lives matter because we're made in the image of God. We're made in the Imago Day. That means we're image bearers. Each one of us are image bearers. We all need justice. We all need mercy. We all need grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I came up here, man, and it was so exciting, man, to see a church that is not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jews and then to the Gentiles. See, the power of God. When you're unashamed, the power of God rises up and you're able to stand against wicked schemes of the devil. No matter if coming from the, the government, um, from authorities, whatever it is, you're standing up and says, nope, we will not bow down. Like I was telling Juan the other day, it was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All the churches were bowing down. But my brothers and my sisters in this room, y'all did not bow down. Y'all stood in the midst of that. And that shows Jesus. I believe Jesus in that moment like Stephen, when Stephen was being stoned to death, I believe Jesus was clapping in heaven. He stood up and said, that's my brother. That's my servant. He's not bowing down to any idols. What is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? It said, you should have no other gods before me. That means no other gods. He is the only God that we bow down to. We don't bow down to any agenda. We don't bow down to any movement. Because guess what? It's just a movement. But the word of God endures forever. And that's what we anchor ourselves in. It's in the word of God. In season and out of season. When you're tired, you go to the word of God. When you're feeling strong, you go to the word of God. When people are for you, you go to the word of God. When people are against you, you go to the word of God. You guys are so blessed to have a church that's on fire. I wish, I wish I had a, we had a churches, more churches all around the globe that was like this. But I believe that the vision is plain right here. They're going to plant churches. They're going to go out and evangelize. You're going to win the loss. You're going to disciple them. You're going to teach them the, the core beliefs like the Trinity and, and saved by grace through faith. You're going to teach them the word of God. And that's what we need. We need this. So y'all keep going. I want y'all all to stand up right now. I want you to lift your hands up. Say, Jesus. I thank you for this day. Thank you for making me a bold witness for you. Holy Spirit, keep me on fire for Jesus. Let me endure to the end. No matter what comes my way. Sickness, persecution, slander, division. Let me stand firm on your word, not on the opinions of man, not of any false doctrines, but only in you. For now and forevermore, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Man of God. <laughs> Nap it off, hug it off. Oh, I needed that. How many needed that this morning? Praise God for men and women of God in the house coming and visiting us. Open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17, verse 7. You know, all the devil did in that time was just make the remnant stronger and shake out the bad fruit because I feel like I have more strength than I ever have. I feel like I have more friends in the ministry than I ever have. I feel like I got the right people in the church more than I ever have in Jesus' name. This is exciting. This is exciting. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 7. I want to talk, about, talk today about kingdom mindsets. Somebody say kingdom mindsets. Thank you. If you know me, you know I love the kingdom. And I love the word of God because the word of God talks about the kingdom. But I also like to challenge your mind when you're in church to ever be thinking about what could, you know, could possibly be a contradiction or a tension in the scripture. So are you all ready? Okay, so I'm going to teach you about a kingdom mindset, but as I do, I want to show you, if you've ever seen it this way, which may look like a tension, but I actually believe it's not a contradiction, it's a complement to the attitudes we're supposed to have. If you're in uh, Luke 17, verse 7, somebody say, I'm there. Thank you. Kingdom mindset. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes to him in the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. And then it says here, we're losing a little bit on my side. Can we uh, bring that in a little bit, please? Thank you. It says, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what, what he was told to do? Now look at verse 10. you got to have a Bible open to do it as they're fixing the karaoke. Look at verse 10. So you also, somebody say he's talking to me. Thank you. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, this is what you should say. We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Somebody say, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just doing my duty. Boy, that sounds like that's intention to being a king's kid. That sounds like it's intention to Jesus being nice and kind to us, telling us thank you for the things that we do. Notice here in the prior verse, verse 9, it says, Will he thank the servant? For doing what he was told to do. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you shouldn't be waiting for a thank you. You should simply say back to the person you serve, man, I'm even unworthy to be here. Thank you for letting me be here. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That, that sounds like a verse we don't hear much in the, in the, in the church. See, this is a kingdom mindset that puts into what could look like tension or a contradiction to the other one that I want to show you just a few chapters over. Go to Luke chapter 19, the parable of the talents, the stewards, Luke chapter 19. It's a little bit more of a longer parable, but go there in verse 11, and it's going to look like it's saying something different than what we just heard. Now remember, Luke's writing this gospel, pulling out the teachings that he wants us to hear being led by the Holy Spirit. So it's not going to contradict, it's going to complement, but it may look like it's intention until you and I understand some kingdom mindsets. Somebody say kingdom mindsets. 
See, we need it all. We need it all in the kingdom mindset. Let's look at now Luke chapter 19, verse 11. It's a familiar story. It actually was said today out of the version of Matthew in our offering lesson, another confirmation, as well as you confirming last week's message on spiritual warfare, man of God, for the first service. Thank you for that. Luke 19, 11 says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. And now Jesus is going to tell them this parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So they thought the kingdom was going to come immediately. Like right now, here's the Messiah. He's going to establish the kingdom. He's going to begin to rule in Jerusalem, take over the Roman Empire, and then from there all the Gentiles are going to come and serve the Israelites. That's what those people thought at that time. Look at verse 12. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. How many can already see through the parable what's happening right there? You see, the man is going to go to a distant country, be appointed a king. Where did Jesus go after he resurrected? He went to heaven, and he's appointed a king, is he not? And then he's going to return. Are you all tracking there? Come on, you got to get it right there. Now look at verse 13. So he called 10 of his servants, and he gave them 10 minuses, which basically means it's a sum of money. And another one, it's four servants and bags of gold. And, and this is what I want to say right here, so we don't think Jesus ever contradicts himself, because if you go, well, Matthew said this, Luke said this. If you take all the red letters of the Gospels, combine them together for the words of Jesus while he was in ministry on this earth for three and a half years, you only have about two days of talking. Only about two or three days. So what does that mean this preacher was doing for three and a half years? Repeating himself. And when he would repeat himself, sometimes he would change it up. And when the gospel writers are writing, they're not contradicting. They understood that he had said it this way one time. He said it another way. But whenever Jesus was saying it different, it was for our benefit to get something unique out of a story. And if you follow me, especially when I would do two services of the same sermon, you would hear different stories presented in different ways. Not a contradiction, just me accenting different things. So if anybody ever comes to you and goes, well, look at the, the parable of the talents in Matthew, it's four stewards, it's bags of gold. Here in, in Luke, it's ten stewards and it's minuses, it's a sum of money. And, you know, he, here's this contradiction. No, say, Jesus talked all the time. And what he's doing is emphasizing different parts of the story. What he wants you to know now is that there were ten people involved in this because he wants you to see a multitude. And he doesn't want you to see the differences that they get because in Matthew, they are given according to their own talent, the bags of gold, which is known as a talent. Don't get it twisted. There's a talent known as a measurement, and then there's a talent you have. Do you understand that? So he gives them, the Bible says in Matthew, according to their talents, this weight of talent, this gold. Here, he's just making it simple. There's going to be 10 servants, and they're all going to get one minus. So they're all going to, the 10 servants, and he gave them 10 minuses apiece, rather. Rather, each of the 10 are going to get 10. Now, look at this. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Somebody say, work it. Amen. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So now he's going to add in a story here of the people not wanting him to be a king, different from the one of just the talents. Now verse 14, but his subjects hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Verse 16, the first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Somebody say multiplication. Amen. So here there is a multiplication. And this is where now we have to decide what kind of laborer are we going to be. Well done, my good servant. Now, what does he say to this man? 
What does he say in verse 17? Go to that other tab. Go to that other tab, please, in, in chapter 17. Are you supposed to look for a thank you? No, in, in, in chapter 17, it says you're not even supposed to get a thank you. You're supposed to say back, well, I'm unworthy. Now go to 19. What is the master saying? Well done. So that's basically a thank you, isn't it? But is that a contradiction? No, that's a tension that's going to be resolved as you understand the mindset of Christ. But let's keep going. He says, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. And now we understand that the multiplication on the earth, applying it to Jesus and his kingdom when he comes back, is for us to have rulership over cities and nations on this earth. Isn't that amazing that Jesus just breaks it down? What you're doing now in this church, what you're doing for Jesus now, when the king comes back, if it's been done for his will, if it has been done according to his purpose, you're going to be ruling over cities. How many are ready for that? Amen. Sometimes, you know, I look up at the board, I see we want to, you know, have 100,000 disciples, and I think, man, I'm just, I'm just a big old failure, man. I haven't got, you know, 100,000 disciples. What if I die before that happens? And I, I remember that's just the devil talking. That's just a lie because look at Abraham. Abraham was promised all of these descendants, and he only died with, with seeing, you know, basically Isaac and maybe a, a few after that, but that was all he saw. But no, how many know God kept his promise? And so I think to myself, either in this age or in the age to come, we're going we're to rule and reign with Christ. We're going to see disciples made. Amen? And so he says, now take these 10 cities, and we're supposed to be listening to this going, okay, that just got real. A king came, rewarded somebody, now they're in charge of stuff. Verse 18, the second came to him and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. How many now know that this ties together what we've learned in Matthew? Judge not lest ye be judged. For the same measure you judge others by you, yourself will be judged. How many know this parable has given us a multiplicity of lessons? Do you notice that he's going to be judged by his own standard now? He's going to be judged by the revelation and the understanding that he had. To much is given, much is required. We don't know if he would have said, oh, what would have happened if he would have said something different. But he had enough sense to understand that my king is a hardworking king, that he has produced fruit and crops where there wasn't any fruit and crops. And that reminds me of Jesus coming to us when we were nothing but sinners and making us saints. Isn't that quite a miracle of multiplication? So this man is recognizing that his master has done all of these things, but he didn't do anything in response. So Jesus says, or the, the king here says, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. How many know that's how Jesus talks sometimes? You wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money in deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest? Just do something with it. Verse 24, then he said to those standing by, now he's going to make a lesson out of this person right here. He's like, y'all listen to this. Come on close. Let me make sure everybody hears me. Don't you just love that about Jesus? Like he'll call you Satan in front of everybody just to make sure everybody gets the point. Hey, Satan, get behind me. Well, we'll just do that privately, Jesus. No, I'm going to tell everybody right now. Let me tell you where that's coming from, Peter. So sometimes Jesus does. I'm not saying we should look out to be rude and disrespectful, embarrass people, but I just love how sometimes Jesus is not into our 21st century, you know, like sense of privacy. Like Jesus just blows it up right there. Hey, everybody standing by, let me tell you this. Take his mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. 
Go ahead and take it from him. Sir, they answered, he already has 10. Man, why are we going to give more than this guy? Come on, isn't this like socialism here? Man, you should take the 10 from that guy. That's what socialism would have did. The guy multiplies, and then the king goes, thank you very much. I'm going to take everything you multiplied, still leave you with the one, and then now go here and distribute it to everybody who did nothing. No, this is the opposite of socialism. The one who does nothing gets it taken from them and given to the one with 10. This is the principle of capitalism. You better produce. You better use it or you lose it. Look at your neighbor. Say everything God has given you. You better use it before you lose it. Everything God has given you, use it before you lose it. He, they said back to man, he's already got 10. The king replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine, this is where, like I said, there's a different story being interwoven into the, the talents now, or rather into this uh, stewardship parable. He says, but now those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. There's your judgment passage right there. Okay, so let's put this together. Let's go back to 17 so we don't forget. I'm going to a third, and then I want to tie it all together. Are you guys ready to learn the word today and have a kingdom mindset? No tricks up the sleeve. I just feel the Lord wants us to understand some of these hidden gems in these parables and to see how they give us a well-rounded understanding of our mindset because I think in the church we have forgotten these kinds of lessons. Here in 17, we're told that a man has a servant. The man's been working all day out in the fields doing the agricultural work. Sounds like the, uh, the, the master or the, the owner of the house, he's been inside the whole day. He's been there relaxing. Now it's time to eat, and the servant is thinking, man, I should probably eat first, right? Like, you've been here just chilling. You've been snacking. It's been air conditioning. Uh, you know, I should probably eat first, and then I can take care of you. And the master's like, no, 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 come on in, come on in, and take care of me first, and then you sit down and do it. And don't wait. Don't wait for me to tell you thank you. I just want to see that you're privileged to be here. Tell me how you privileged you are to be here. Now, before we get it twisted and compare this to the American South and slavery that sent people to hell, Jesus would not be using an example of sinners going to hell as something righteous we should learn from, first of all. This is a debtor type of slavery or a conquered people type of slavery, and so they could have been killed for their debt. They could have been killed for their war, and so it's actually an honor for them to be there as opposed to the other alternative. Are you tracking with me? Just want to make sure that's clear. And this was not based on any kind of race. As a matter of fact, it was the Muslims invading Africa long before the Europeans ever did it in the era of colonialism that began to distinguish slavery according to their race. Even in the Roman Empire and in the Greek Empire, you were enslaved according to your people group or according to your situation. So Africans, like just remember Egypt, Egypt owned a lot of white slaves or Anglo slaves, Asian slaves, and so forth. Europe, the same way. If you look at the Romans, the Greeks. And so it went back and forth among people groups. So it didn't matter what the color of your skin was. It was more what tribe and what nation you were a part of. And then especially in the Greeks and Romans, as they began to develop wealth and societies, it was whether or not you had the wealth, whether or not you were a conquered people. So it was nothing according to race and skin tone. Can I hear an amen about that? Just want to clarify that because Jesus is not using a sinful example. So this 
Servant or slave, the words are interchangeable. I know sometimes we want to soften it with servant, but it's truly the same word, doulos. That means slave in the Greek. Here we see that he is commended for not wanting a reward and accommodation, but he is commended for understanding his situation that he's in and for considering himself to be privileged to be there. Now going to chapter 19, we see that there's a king entrusting his people This would be the same idea, his slaves, his managers, his servants with his wealth to multiply it. And when those who multiply it show the fruit of their labor, he rewards them. He gives them the attaboy. He gives them the commendation. And not only does he give them the verbal thanksgiving, but he then puts them in charge of cities. Is everybody tracking with me? Amen. Now go with me to Matthew. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Somebody say kingdom mindset i got to get you one more parable. I'm going to tie it together in Jesus' name. God help me. Matthew chapter 20, and I want you to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through 16. This is another one that most of you have not heard in this context. Now, the other one about stewardship we have heard, but the first one that I read about what we call the unprofitable or unworthy servant, most people don't even know about that. And then this one right here, I was talking to it, uh, talking about it even to my wife, and she was like, I don't even remember this one being in the Bible. Let's see as I read it if it, it's something you think about often or something maybe you read and forgot or maybe you never even heard. Let's look at it. For the kingdom of heaven, somebody say the kingdom. Amen. This is kingdom mindsets. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Have I ever told you a story about me going to uh, Home Depot to find some workers? Some of you, okay, let me just tell you this real quick. (laughs) So there's some people that usually hang out around Home Depot that are looking for some work. You know, and I always see him out there when I was, you know, I would see him out there when I would get some stuff. And so I thought to myself, okay, that's cool. If I ever need any help, I'm going to go out there to Home Depot. I'm going to get some workers if I need them. Well, one day we were building something in the church and I got stuck because I don't really know what I'm doing, just to be honest with you. That's why I thank God that everybody's a preacher nine to five because there would be no houses for us to live in. If everybody was a preacher like me, there would be no good food to eat. There would be no technology being done across the earth. All we would be doing is living naked or with some loincloth around us, writing a book or two and preaching to each other. So once again, I thank God for every one of you who do things nine to five other than just what I do. How many are thankful for the body of Christ? And you can preach as well, and I can learn those things, but it it is hard for me to learn. So people have tried to teach me to paint and all of that, and it just makes a mess. After a while, they see me coming, and they say, Pastor, we'll take it from here. We will take it from here. You'll save us the time of cleaning up your mess, and we got to get this done. So I ran into a problem, and I went to the Home Depot to get some labor, and someone hopped on in. They were ready to work, and uh, they told me, you know, I took them here and showed them everything, and they told me what we were going to need and how much it was going to cost. So we go back to the Home Depot, go all the way back, pay for everything, and then he said, man, look, man, just give me the money now. And uh, (laughs) I may know I shouldn't have trusted him, but I did. I I didn't learn from this parent. I gave him the money, and then he said, look, drop me off here. I got to get my tools. And then that place I dropped him off, I never saw him again, didn't see him come out. I don't know where he went. I don't know what he did. I then was thankful that I still had my health. I was thankful that I still had my car. I was thankful that I still had my wallet, and that all I had lost was about $100. But how many know you got to learn sometimes to be street smart? Okay, so some of you are already going like, man, that's, that's why, Pastor, you don't do stuff like that. 
um, you don't do stuff like, you know, and I learned because I was, I was someone new to the city and I thought that would be a great relationship between me and that worker. But notice the parable here. Jesus gives the, the, the man hiring here way more intelligence than what I had because this is what happens here. He goes to look for the workers in his vineyard, verse 2. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So he doesn't pay them at first. He says, okay, do you agree to work for a denarius for the whole day? And they go, yes, sir. Okay, get to work. About nine in the morning, so this was probably starting about six in the morning. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they're like, man, I'm not doing anything else. And it looks like this guy's legit. So, okay, I'll get to work, and hopefully he'll pay me. So they went. He went out again around noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, when he went out and found still others standing there, he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Somebody say doing nothing. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but there's a lot of people in the church standing around doing nothing, right? But Jesus is willing to give them a job. Let's put that in application even right now so you can see a little bit of where I'm going. They say, because no one has hired us. There's no church giving us anything to do. All they want us to do is warm the pews, shout amen, and go to a conference. And then Jesus says back to them, hey, you all go out there and we'll get busy in my vineyard. Amen. How many know it's time to get busy for Jesus in the vineyard? When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. So the last ones hired were hired around what time in the day? Around 5 o'clock, right, right around the time of, of when it's going to end. So they line them up from 5 o'clock to 3 o'clock to 12 o'clock to 9 in the morning, 6 in the morning. Call all the workers and start paying them from the one who came right at the last. Uh, you know, pay that man that came last first. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, when they came, they expected to receive more. How many think that's kind of rational, right? Like you're thinking to yourself, well, I know I agreed to a denarius, but if these folks who just showed up at five, if they just got a denarius, man, I bet you now I'm going to get a bonus for being here. How many know that would have been like rational thinking, right? You'd have been thinking that. So now they're there and they're thinking, man, we're going to get more. When they received their denarius, when they received a denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. And how many right now would begin to grumble? Let's be honest. I don't care how sanctified, how Christian you are in this church. If I did this same example, I can see people in this church getting mad at me. Well, pastor, I mean, I know you agreed to pay me the denarius, but man, you gave them the same that just worked only for an hour. Come on now, pastor, you should pay me more. I know I agreed to it, but you should still pay me more. Notice this right here. They begin to grumble, and now they say back to them, they were like, man, these were hired last, worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal. Somebody say equal. Amen. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day, but he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I will give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be 
last. Somebody say kingdom mindsets. Now going back to chapter 17 of Luke, somebody say humble. I want you to see these now not only intention or what may seem like a contradiction. I want you to see them complementing each other. I had to put them all out there because I know most of us are not able to recall them by memory. I could have hopped into the sermon and just started saying, hey, you all know these three parables. Let me start teaching on some mindsets that come from each of them. But thank you for your patience as I read through the word. Now you can see that it is there in and of Jesus' words. Jesus said these things. I'm not creating what would seem like a attention. I'm not trying to create a problem so I can look smart when I solve it. I want you to understand Jesus wanted us to understand these mindsets, not in competition or in contradiction to each other, but complementing and building us up. Everybody say humble again. Thank you. When we look at Luke chapter 17, we learn what I believe is one of the most important mindsets of the kingdom, and that is humility. Do you not know that you were all enemies of God? And that while you and I were under the wrath of God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how dare we now, in serving Christ, stand around with our hand out like Jimmy saying, I'll take all you can give me. How dare we say back to Jesus, Jesus, they didn't say thank you to me when I served in the church, when I drove the bus, when I helped in the kids' ministry. So, Lord, I'm not working anymore. How dare we come back to Jesus waiting around for him to say something to us as if he owes it to us. Has he not already given us the cross? Has he not already forgiven all of our wickedness and all of our sins? Has he not already made us the temple of the Holy Spirit? Has he not given us his word and his promises? Isn't it better to be a servant in God's house than dwell in the tents of the wicked? Isn't it better to call Jesus your master than alcohol your master, than politicians your master? Isn't Jesus good? You see, we learn in this parable that we always have to have the mindset of humility. That we're not here in Christianity because of our worthiness. That we were something in and of ourselves, mighty and powerful. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is dealing with a sophisticated group of people who are acting foolish, and he has to rebuke them. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he begins to tell them that it's not based on their goodness. It's not based on the things that they have done. It's based on what God has done for them. Look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, brothers and sisters... Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were of human standards influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, he's really talking to you now. He chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Don't ever forget who you were without Christ or who you would be without Jesus. Many of you might say, well, Pastor, I wasn't that foolish when I came to Christ. I was somewhat sophisticated. You don't know whose fool you really were. You were a fool of the devil, and yet Jesus loved you. He didn't love you because you looked good on the outside. You could do things that impressed him. Even despite your own folly and sinfulness and attitude and yourself, you know, your self-worth that you thought you were worth all this and that and a bag of chips, he said, you know what, I'm going to use you to bring down the things of this world. 
There's nothing wrong with loving yourself and being confident. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't want us to walk around as worms and, and so forth. But he wants us to under, understand who is man that God would be mindful of us. Who are we that we can ever give something back to God that he didn't already have? He said God chose the lowly things. God chose the weak things of the world, the shame, the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. No one can boast before God. When you look at all the ones that God has used in the Bible, doesn't it look like you just fit right in? Come on, can I be honest? I fit right in. I fit right in with the cursing of fishermen named Peter. That's where I fit right in. I fit right in with Peter. Some of you already getting happy. Some of you trying to be shy right now. You know how you are. Be honest. Some of you right like Peter. Some of you just like Matthew, a greedy tax collector, just taking everything you can from others. How many know you fit right in with those 12 disciples? Others of you violent, angry, angry, trying to solve all your problems with force like a, like a zealot. How many know you fit in with those disciples? How many know you fit in with those people of the Bible like Gideon. I'm the least of the Israelite tribes. Out of the Israelite tribes, I'm the least of the families of those tribes. In the family, I'm the runt of the bunch. My own family beats up on me, but I'm being called a mighty warrior. Come on now. You see, I fit right in with Moses who tried to do things on my own but ended up killing everything, messing it up, running away for a long time, and God picking me up, and I'm st 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 stuttering, and, and, and I, 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 I just don't believe I can, I, I can do anything. But God said, did I not give you a tongue? Did I not give you those things? I'm going to give you my word. You see, we can look back at the Bible, if we're going to be honest, and find ourselves there. We can find some of you, the religious person. Oh, but pastor, I wasn't like the others. I was religious. And you were like Paul, weren't you? Praying to Santa Maria, taking all your trips to the water stains of a bridge to put your flowers there because some visitation of a saint came. You were, come on, you were the one bragging about how you prayed the rosary. And God had to show up one day and show you that stuff doesn't mean anything to him. He had to humble you put you on your face on a carpet right here in no cathedral, but put you in a storefront weeping and crying out to Jesus to save a sinner like you. Hallelujah. So it doesn't matter who we were before Christ. Well, we can look at the book of Corinthians and go, yeah, many of us were not noble. Many of us were not righteous in our own, in our own worldview. We were even wicked according to the ones we were with. And even those who were self-righteous, we were self-deceived. Going back to Luke chapter 17, we see that God is, is wanting us to keep that mindset, that mindset to say, after I've done everything, I'm an unprofitable servant. I'm not here for the profit. I'm here for the reward of the presence. So y'all got to get that. I'm not preaching today for that potential reward. We're going to get there. We're going to harmonize these passages. But first and foremost, I am not here to rule over cities. I'm here to be with the king. I'm here to be where he's at. And if, and if it means that it looks like, and I know it's not true, but if it looks like I'm doing all the work down here and I'm going through all of the tough times down here, but he's just sitting up there on a nice air-conditioned throne, I'm going to put in that work. But how many know Jesus is still working? How many know in this parable that man had to work to have what he had? He had to manage it and do well with it. Otherwise, he could have been like the prodigal son and blew it all up. He was responsible probably not only for that servant, but many servants. 
minds. And you see, we need the right mindset and go, you know what? I know Jesus is on his throne. His work of redemption is finished, but he is still working through the church. And at times, I may feel like I want to hear more affirmation from him. At times, I may want to hear more affirmation from his servants, but I'm not here for what they say about me. I'm here to be with him. I'm not here for the prophet. I'm here for the presence. Remember humility in all that you do. When I look back on the lives of people I have admired and how they have fallen, as the Bible says, how the mighty have fallen, it is always first with their pride that they think they deserve something that they really don't deserve. They think because they've been pastoring that mega church so long that now they deserve an affair, that they've been receiving money so long within a certain you know, boundary of a salary, they deserve more, that they've been putting up with people's attitudes so long that now they deserve to cuss out people in the church. God have mercy. We don't deserve any of this. I know that I've told some of you this story before, but I think it's good to to repeat. When I first started off in ministry, it was in New Orleans, in the inner city, with no finances, always going out to raise money, to go back out to disperse it to the nine different neighborhoods that I was working in by God's grace. And as a 22, 23, 24-year-old single young man, I began to have some pity-patty parties for myself. And it happened one time when I was out, you know, taking a break from New Orleans to go to the Panama City, you know, Pensacola beach area and I was out there fishing all by myself and then all of a sudden out in the distance I could see the lights going and the you know I could see the party on the beach and I'm just sitting up here all by myself just fishing and here I am a young man in my 20s like I'm ready to go man like I'm just I should say it like this I'm on fire not only for Jesus but I'm also on fire in another way does anybody know Paul when he said some of y'all burn on the inside I was in my mid-20s burning on the inside hearing that music just the lights going and I'm thinking to myself man nobody cares what I do out here Nobody knows me. I pastor a handful of people from the inner city of Nolens, y'all. Man, probably people in my church don't even care what I do. If I came to them and said, yo, I hooked up last night with somebody I wasn't married to, they'd be like, you too, pastor? You too? Tell me about I mean, they probably wouldn't think anything strange. And I'd go, but man, don't you know I'm a pastor? They'll probably say back, yeah, but Bishop so-and-so right here does it all the time too. Come on. And I remember sitting out there feeling sorry for myself, like, God, you promised me, you know, like, you know, you would send me a wife, Lord, and I, you know, I wouldn't have to be lonely, and God, you promised me that I would have friends in the ministry. I'm telling you, little tear just slipping down my eye. I'm being honest as a young man, and I just felt the Lord give me this example that I've shared with you before, that the Lord said to me, November 4th, 1995, if you would have died, where would you go? See, that was the day before I gave my heart to Jesus. November 5th is when I gave my heart to Jesus by God's grace. So he asked me, I was 18, that day before the day you gave your life to me, where would you have gone? And I said, Lord, I would have gone to hell. And then he spoke to my heart, would you have deserved it? Absolutely. I knew what I had been given. I knew that I had buried my life. And I had not used it for God. I was that one that was going to get judged and have it taken from me and given to another. Are you all listening to me? And then the Lord said to me out of that parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the beggar and the rich man, he said to me, in hell, what would you have said back to me? You would have pleaded for me, wouldn't you? And I said, yes, I would have pleaded. Let me out. 
Let me go back and do it again. And then the Lord said to me, if I would have said back to you, I'll let you out to be a minister, but this is how it's going to be. You're going to have to have nothing, and you're never going to be successful. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. Would you have wanted out of hell to be what would have seemed like a life of suffering in the ministry? I said, Lord, I would have done anything to get out of there. He said, that's why I let you live another day. He said, you don't even understand. I already did that. You all better get this today. You weren't owed the day you got saved. The day you got saved was that extra day. It was that day of grace. You could have died that day before. I know we, we talk about God's mercy here and his, and his kindness, but there are so many here today. You, are back, you were backsliders. You turned your, your heart from God. You buried that treasure. You, are, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one here. And now we get into ministry as I was as that young man, and now we think back to God. He owes us something. And I want to be honest with you. I'm not saying I haven't ever complained or made a mistake in my mindset of, of, of serving Jesus in the kingdom, but from that day forward, I never complained about an assignment. I went back to that roach-infested house that I had to nail a board down because the mice kept coming up into. I started thanking God for that place where I lived. I had lived in that place for almost two years, and I didn't even take off my socks. Only when I showered, I couldn't even walk barefoot in my own house. I was so grossed out where I lived. But I want you to understand that. It sounds weird, but that day I came back, and I started taking off my socks and started blessing God for that nasty old carpet. I said, God, thank you that I'm here today. Thank you that there's a place that I can disciple people. That's where that church started was in that house. I said, Lord, thank you for my neighbors who stay up all night to remind me to pray for them. I'm talking to somebody here. I said, Lord, thank you for everything that they call me because it reminds me of what I was before I knew you. And now now that I'm like you, I'll take it in Jesus' name because I know what it's like to be forgiven. Hallelujah. Is there anybody here that's just happy to be in God's house? Come on, can we remain humble? Do we make a decision today to say this is just our duty? It's just our duty. Now go to Luke chapter 19, but how many know he doesn't leave it there? He could just say, hey, man, do all these things, get up here, and then keep on working. He could. Do you understand that? Let's just think about this mentally for a moment. God could have made us his pets. God could have made us his housekeepers. We could go right up to heaven, just keep working, taking care of the gardens up there. But how many know he's too good to us? He's good to us. He's better to us than we've ever been to ourselves. Here we now see that we are given a reward for our hard work. Somebody say hard work. We're supposed to be humble in the kingdom of God. We're also supposed to be hardworking. Do you not know that God watches everything you do? He is watching everything you do. He is concerned about what you are going through right now. I know it may feel like at times that he is not watching what you are doing, but he is. You see, if those people would have took a moment to tell the story to the king, the king would have heard everything they did to multiply those things, and he would have been so proud of everything that they did. He would have went through each one of those stories of investment and each one of those decisions of sacrifice and each one of those things of a hard day and say, that's why I'm putting you in charge of these things. How many are glad that Jesus is watching what you're doing today and that he is going to reward you? There are times that you will feel in the kingdom that nobody sees you taking care of those children, that even your husband doesn't see it like the way you see it, mothers, but Jesus sees it and he's going to reward you and make you a mother of nations. Those of you here that are doing Bible studies and you're starting them in your homes and neighborhoods and there's only two or three that show up and you oftentimes feel like, man, maybe I shouldn't have been sent out from the previous Bible study because that one had 20 coming and they must be better at this than me because I only have three. Listen, you don't know their story. You don't 
know what they went through to get that glory. You're just putting in your test so you can have a testimony. And most importantly, God is watching you with three. God is watching you when you make a Bible study. Nobody shows up, but you still preach it to the walls and just your wife and kids because he knows what you're doing is for him. He will not let our time and talent be wasted. Everything that we give to the kingdom of God will be multiplied back unto us in the kingdom to come. I thank God that he didn't owe us these things, but he went out of his way to get it, uh, give it to us. He says we're not saved by him, so it's not based on our good works that we're saved. But how many know he saved us to do good works and he's a rewarder of those who seek him? Oftentimes in ministry, I felt myself working for no purpose, for no reason. I remember developing the discipleship books when there was nobody even going past lesson one. I remember showing up with people to do discipleship on their work break in the middle of their third shift, like at one, two in the morning, and then they would come there and say, man, I even forgot to look at this, but let's just hang out. And that was the only disciple I had all week. And I was thinking to myself all week, I can't wait to get with Kevin. I can't wait to hang out with Kevin. I got words to give Kevin. And then when I show up, Kevin didn't even have enough honor or hard work to even have a lesson ready. But I had to keep writing discipleship books, keep showing up to make disciples. I remember the first time we started our 201, we started with three young adults. They beat the adults to the uh, to 201 class. Isn't that awesome? That's why I'm not running a nursing home ministry. Old people are welcome, but I'm taking some youth with me to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. No offense towards those who got gray hair. I'm not as young as I used to be. But they used to make fun of us when we were a small little church of young adults. I remember one time we sent Pastor Griselda somewhere because there was a, an issue with another church. We had to work it through. And so we sent Pastor Griselda there. And they said, well, aren't you just a sweet little thing? Who are you from that church? She said, I'm a pastor. Oh, just look at you, just a female young adult pastor. Isn't that cute? And tried to steamroll over her. I called up that person. I said, she's speaks with the authority of Jesus Christ. She's probably got more word in her than most of your backslidden preachers that are 50 years old because she understood the things of God. But that's how we were treated back then. Are you listening? And so we started with these three young adults. And after we told them what was going to be required of them, you're going to read the lesson. You're going to answer the question. You're going to have scripture that you memorize. You're going to have an accountability sheet that shows how you pray every day, how you read your Bible every day. And then we're going to check it, and then you're going to let us know if you're keeping the commands of God. Are you ready? They looked at me like I was crazy and dropped out the next week. After I spent all these nights and days writing a book for people to be discipled in, I had to wait for another group to be brought in. You see, oftentimes we don't see what God is doing behind the scenes. We get discouraged because we think to ourselves, our king is a long way off. But how many know he takes pleasure while we're doing work unto him? Because he gets pleasure out of our blood, sweat, and tears. I know it may seem sometimes like it's unfair, but God is waiting to come back and reward those who want his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And when I tell those stories, don't feel sorry for a young preacher because in those days it was determined in my heart, I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the audience of one glorious, glory, hallelujah, to glorious Senor, all glory to my Lord and Savior. 
I'm not doing it for anything else. That's why I look at some of these young preachers that started off with these large crowds and they take these big falls. I think God spared me from that because if you live by people's praises, you die by their criticism. I learned at an early age, you don't make or break me. I belong to Jesus. And some of you today got to get it in your heart. There is a kingdom coming. And everything I've done as a father, we have plumbers in this church. And how many know plumbers' jobs can get dirty? We had our brother Andrew. Would you raise your hand again in the back? Let's give it up for Andrew, man of God, plumber. There was one day he had to come and fix some stuff in our house. And I'll just say it like this. It started to smell so bad I had to say, brother, I got to dismiss myself. I left my brother down there to fix it all by himself. Poor, poor Andrew. But then I thought to myself, this is a man of God. This is a man of God. He gets up in the morning. He works, and he does things that nobody else around him understands. They don't get what he's doing, but he does it to be a man of God to his family, to be a provider so that Lauren can go to Bible college and work for the church and make a difference. Don't tell me there's not rewards for him on on the day when our king comes back, finding him working. You may think what you're doing is a minimal job. You may think it's a dirty job. You may think how you're uh, right now in your family, nobody cares or is watching. God is watching, and he wants to reward you. He wants to bless you, and we ought to be ready for that day to bring before him our hard work and say, here it is, Jesus. It's all that I had. It comes from my heart, and I want you to have it. Whether I get rewarded for it or not, I was just glad that you asked me to be a mother. I'm just glad that you asked me to be a father. I'm just glad that you asked me, Jesus, to pastor a church at 5405 West Diversity. Come on, I'm just glad that you called me to sing on this stage when maybe Des could be out there singing with all the others in the scene. You know, of Miley Cyrus, God, I'm just glad you called me to stand on a six-inch stage, Jesus. And then we can... We can Know that he'll say back to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, I want you now to see the harmony, not just the tension. See, we come to him going, I'm not worthy. This was all yours. This was all that you just gave me. I'm like the child. You gave me a $10 allowance and said, go buy something for mommy. It was all yours to begin with. You gave me the gift to preach, and I just gave it back to you. You gave me the gift to read a scripture and explain it. I gave it back to you. You gave me the gift to be a builder, a plumber, a mother, a father, and I just gave it back to you. I'm unworthy. And then he's going to say to us, but I am. I have counted you worthy by the blood of my own son. Rise up. Well done, my good and faithful steward. Here are ten cities. Let's get to work. Hallelujah. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we now stand worthy in his righteousness. We are not just pitiful, unworthy servants in our own self. We are, but because of the blood of Jesus, we've been made worthy. We've been made sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. And then go to the last one with me in Matthew chapter 20. As Vinny comes, please. Somebody say honorable. We have to get to the point where we understand honor in the body of Christ. Somebody say it again, honor. John Bevere wrote a whole book on this. I would encourage anyone to get it. If you need help with the shekels to get it, this church will provide it for you. I want you, if you have it in your heart, to have the book on honor by John Bevere, to have it from us. That's, by the way, people ask me sometimes. They say, why are all your books in the bookstore? You want to know why? Because I can give them all away. 
I can give them away all the time. All these other books, I try to get discounts, but they're so expensive. That's why I can't give them away all the time because I don't want to offer anything in this church, have anything in this church we can't give away. Do you understand? Nothing against these other authors, praise God, for them, but I want to always have things I can just give away. I could give away every book in that bookshelf today and still be fine. Are you listening? I start giving away some of these books. We're going to have to start doing some side, uh, some side hustles. We're going to have to do some spaghetti dinners. Some of, these, some of these dudes' books, $24.99, I'm like, dear Lord, somebody's living their best life now. Come on, half tease towards whoever you know wrote that. But I don't mind. That's up to them. They can charge whatever they want. But listen, I just want you to know, if you want that book, Honor, our church will do that for you. Write info at mpichurch.org because I feel in my heart to give that away to anybody who wants to learn Honor. John Bevere wrote a good book on it. We have to learn Honor in the body of Christ. We think that we're honoring God by tallying up what others have done compared to us. Well, God, you healed so-and-so, but you haven't healed me yet. Did you know I pray more than so-and-so? Did you know I go to church more than so-and-so? Did you know that I give tithes and offerings more than so-and-so? And we lose respect for God. We act as if we are talking to God like he is a pawn dealer, a pawnbroker. That we come to him, you know, kind of swapping our life for whatever deal we can get out of it. Instead of understanding that we're here to honor him. And if God gets glory and honor out of a list of healing somebody first and you're fourth on the list and you're not first, then give God glory and honor for what he did for the one ahead of you. Give God glory and honor for the one that, come on somebody, that just came to church and got their miracle, but you're still waiting. You need to learn, and I need to learn to honor God. Because so often, even us as preachers, as Christians in the church, we can say, oh, you know, here we are, Metro Praise International. If revival is to come, it's got to come through us. It can't come through a church where the dude just got out of jail and started preaching in a parking lot. Because, God, I've been here working all these long hours. I deserve revival, Jesus. I'm just here to see revival. If it comes at the last hour through somebody I would never expect, Jesus, just may I be there when that denarius is handed out. Because I believe that the exchange that God said to us at the very beginning is, Do you want to see my kingdom come? See, in this parable, he said, do you want to work for a denarius? That was the exchange. It wasn't a barter like, hey, I'll work for two. Well, okay, I'll give you one. No, it was, this is what I have. Do you want to work for it? And the people who started early in the morning said, yep, that sounds fair to me. I will work the whole day for that denarius. That's a great deal. Now, the ones who came at 5 o'clock and they get a denarius, that may seem like even a better deal, right? Less work, more for their time based on an hourly wage. They got a denarius an hour. I don't know how you break a denarius down, but you know, you break it down by eight, nine, ten hours. It's a lot less per hour. But how many know at the end of the day, you still got a denarius though? And here's what I think the exchange is God is asking us for Do you want to work for my kingdom? Because if you do, I've got something for you to do. If you honor it and if you treasure it, 
And if you stick around when others complain, you're going to see my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, my God, what about this one over here? What about this one over here? They didn't stick around as long. Don't worry about them. I made a promise to them, and I'm keeping it just like I made a promise to you. What if our sister like Melanie right here sees revival? How old are you, Sister Melanie? 23. And I had to wait till I was 44 to see it. We see it both at the same time. Am I going to have a pity patty party? Or am I going to say, thank God that your kingdom has come upon this city? You see, I'm not here to be jealous or envious of God's generosity. I'm here to honor God's generosity. Some of our church plants may grow faster and bigger than here in Chicago. We may see Dallas exceed us and grow faster than us. Are we going to get jealous of Dallas? That life group that you guys sent out from your, your team and sent out may grow faster than the one that you guys had. You may see people around you get promoted and they just came here smelling like alcohol the other week because they came from the party and you still waiting on a raise and they just got the whole thing. Are you listening to me? they the CEO. Don't think of it like that. Think of the kingdom as you having the honor to see what God is doing in others. What attitude, come on, I'm about ready to cry right now. What attitude should those ones who had been working all day had when they saw the ones like Melanie just come up and get the reward? That's my God. They should have said, that's my God. You see how generous he is? You see how generous he is? Man, he even gives the one who came for an hour to their extent. My God is so generous. That's what their attitude should have been like. You see how God is so good? Man, I know I'm going to be taken care of, but I'm so happy he took care of them. I'm so happy he did that work in them. I'm so happy that he's always going above and beyond what I would ever think is generous. That's the way we should be. And I know we as parents, we want that for our children. We want them to have double what we had for less of that hard work that we had to put in. But it's not only honorable parents to think that for your children. You need to think that for your neighbor because you don't know what God has planned. I know God is going to keep his promise to every single one of us, but maybe God has a reason for what that person is going to use right now. I remember when I was starting this church, it was right before the recession hit. You know, we started in 2005, and we had to do a relaunch here um, at, at around 2012. So if you hear our story, that's why we talk about 2005 and 2012. But in 2005, that was before the the recession came because it was the boom. How many remember 2005? How many remember people had money in 2005, man? They were making it rain. Everybody was balling. If you worked for the city, you were balling. If you were in a tech company, you were balling. If you were into, you know, the, the housing market, you were balling. My wife and I, we were living in that apartment on Addison and uh, right by Pulaski. And my pastor friends who were younger than me, pastor friends that were my interns when I was in New Orleans they came and served when I was there were putting up pictures that's when social media just started and I had to fight the spirit of jealousy are y'all listening this doesn't apply to you I'm just telling on myself right because you've never been jealous on social media right I always tell people this is the opposite of the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, you go into a dark room and you confess your sins to a priest. Here in this church, the light's on me and I confess my sins to you. Okay, now you listen. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm confessing to you. They were putting up their houses. 
Some of them, man, had some beautiful homes. And I started thinking to myself, man, God, I've been working longer than them. I'm in, I'm in the heat of the day. Some of them were in the Bible Belt, Dallas area, Fort Worth, 2005. You could buy a house with 4,000 square feet for around $250,000, $300,000. These men were living it up. Some of them had pools in the backyard. And you know what God began to say to me? He began to say to me, what business is it of yours what I do for them? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know what they need? Do you know the plans that I have for them? Why aren't you rejoicing? Why are you now having a debate with me on whether or not I'm good based on how I bless them? Why are you not honoring me? And I felt the Lord at that season begin to tell me, you need to start blessing them. And some of you have heard me say this. This is where that came from. I started saying to them, is it my God good to you? Because I had to put my God on their blessing to understand it's the same God. So instead of thinking about it like some different God, bless them, and my God, some weak little puny God, I began to understand that's my God. My God. My God. Somebody say, my God. I said, man, my God is good to you. He blessed you with that house. Man, my God is so good. Put up some more pictures of how my God blessed you. Man, talk about that new car. Talk about that promotion. My God is good. You just reminded me how good my God is. My dad takes care of his kids. He loves you. He's taking care of you. Praise God. And then I began to realize as time goes on, God takes care of me. God blesses me. And now what I have, people criticize. The little bit I have, some of you have been around me a little bit. Oh, he lives here. Oh, he drives this. They're never happy with it. They want me coming to church. I want those bikes you rent. One of them blue bikes with my kids in the handlebars. That's how they want me coming to church. They want me coming all busted and disgusted. That's how they want me. <laughs> they don't want me blessed. But I had to start honoring him. I don't know who this is speaking to today, but if you see someone else getting blessed, honor God. I just honor God. And maybe like, like me, you need to use that verbiage and say, my God's been good to you. They may think that's strange and be like, why are you talking like that? You just got to say to them, well, I just got to remind myself sometimes that we serve in the same God. And does that, you know, that you can bring it back to them. Does it bother you that I'm saying my God did that for you? Because last time I checked, you didn't do that for yourself, did you? And so we put these proverbs, or rather these parables together. God wants us to have the mindset of humility, saying, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for you no matter what happens. He wants us to have the mindset of being hardworking, even when no one else is looking, not because we're doing it for the reward, but because we want to be his servants and love him and all that we do, and then honor what he's doing in other people's lives as his kingdom is coming, his will is being done. Amen. Can we bless the Lord as we stand up today? Come on, somebody. Somebody say, the kingdom, say, the kingdom is coming in me and through me. Hallelujah. Can you just have the hands raised and a mindset changed right now? If you need it, rearranged right now. Raise up your hands and say, Lord, help me to use what you've given me for your glory with the right mindset. Altar workers and band, would you come please in closing? Look at your heart, look at your mind. Anything need to be rearranged today? I know it felt in, in, in some of my examples as a pastor confessional, but let that encourage you. If you're not already born again today, you need the whole mindset to be changed from sinner to saint. 
As you have your hands raised, it's just a sign of surrender and of worship. Ask Jesus to change you, to forgive you, to make you a new creation. Say, I believe in you, Jesus. You died on the cross. You rose again. Uh, you rose again for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Be the Lord of my life. In just a few moments, we'll dismiss for prayer. But I want us to check our mindsets right now, our attitudes. Are we humble, church? If we're not humble, ask God right now to humble you, to take away the pride, to show you that you don't deserve it. It's just his goodness that you're here serving him. Anybody here today been a bit lazy, sleeping in on the things of God? Ask the Lord to give you strength, boldness. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Ask God for a revelation of his grace and gifts that he's given you today. A few moments right now. And have you ever dealt with envy, jealousy, bitterness towards what God has done in others? Ask the Lord right now to teach you to, hu to humble yourself, be hardworking, and to honor him. A few moments right now. I pray for that to change our worldview right now. That mindset. I'm humble, Jesus, because you made me humble. I'm hardworking, God, because you gave me a purpose. I'm going to honor what you're doing because you're generous. A few moments right now, ask God to use you to bring about his plans through you. Today is a new day. Don't let the things of this world discourage you as you see what God is doing in others' lives. Focus on Jesus today. A few moments right now, and then we'll dismiss. But if you want to come up for prayer... We're going to sing that song, I will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, as long as you get the glory. But